Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. Hey, everybody. This is AJ Vaden here, and uh, welcome to another episode on the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. And I'm specifically excited for this episode because I get to talk to someone who I actually work with personally. So uh, Mary has been my business coach for over a year. And so to get a chance to share her expertise with all of you is such a great honor and privilege. But let me give you just a little bit of her background. I could probably talk about and rave about her for the next 30 minutes, but that's not why you're here. So (laughs) I'll make this short and sweet. But here are some things that I think is uh, really amazing and some kind of sneak peek into what we're going to talk about on the show today is one. Mary has a very extensive executive corporate background in like Fortune 50 companies, Fortune 20 companies. I don't even know, like it's extensive. But what I love most is she's been able to take this amazing executive experience from these, you know, multi-billion, almost probably trillion dollar companies and then apply it to small business and entrepreneurs like me. So I've got the benefit of all this worldly expertise that allows me to tailor it to my own business. But she's worked with more than 200 organizations. Yeah, more than two, 200 200 organizations since she started her consulting firm. It's called M2 Consulting here in Nashville. She works with EO, the entrepreneurs organization all over the world. She helps with people with mergers, acquisitions, exits, high growth companies. And today she is here to share some of that expertise with our audience. And I'm so excited to have you. So Mary, welcome. Yeah, it is wonderful to be here, AJ. And again, it's hard to believe that it's already been a year. Boy, time flies, especially when the clients are great. (laughs) (laughs) Or or complicated, either way. Um, (laughs) um, Okay, so give everyone in the audience just a high-level background of your corporate world experience. And then when you left that, I guess that's like over 15 years ago to what you're doing now. Cause I think one of the things that will really resonate with our audience and our listeners is so many of the people that we work with are probably in a full-time job or in corporate job. And they're trying to figure out, it's like, how do I exit this to do this thing that I've always dreamed of, whatever that may be. So since you've gone through that process from really high up, I'm working with these massive companies to going, nah, I'm going to call it a day and I'm going to go do my own thing. So give us a little bit of that story. Yeah. And I would tell you, AJ, I don't know that I'm going to be the most helpful role model on this because like a lot of entrepreneurs, I actually started as an entrepreneur because I lost my job. The biggest company that I worked for is McDonald's Corporation. I was a regional marketing manager for them. And I was with them at a pretty interesting time in terms of learning a lot of things, leadership, finance, because they were probably at one of the worst points of their professional trajectory. And they went through their single ever reorganization that the corporation has ever had. I was working in Nashville in a field office that was servicing about 500 restaurants. And interestingly enough, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this. They closed our office, even though we were number one in the country in terms of improved sales and transactions, because we had an inexpensive lease buyout. And I guess when you're looking at 40 regional offices around the country with a lot of space, that matters. But I had a choice. I had a choice to transfer to another city with McDonald's. And at the time, I thought I was going to go. And then then I actually found out that my dad was really, really, really sick. And I knew that if I left Nashville and went to another city and they were going to help me kind of commute back and forth because my significant other was here, I knew that I couldn't be taking care of all three things at one time. And so I decided to leave. And I went out and I did some consulting in marketing for a little while, which is really the worst job on the planet. 
And because small businesses, and I'm talking really small businesses, don't understand why you can't get a story on their company in the New York Times. (laughs) And so I did that for about a year and it was pretty profitable, but not much fun. And then sort of accidentally, and I think this is the thing that really stood out for me in my story that I want to make sure other people pay attention to. I met one person who opened a door for me that led to possibility after possibility after possibility. And I'm going to give her a shout out. That person was actually Julie May, who ran an IT company here in Nashville. She was a member of EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. And she said, wow, our organization is kind of a mess and you seem kind of smart and you know how this works. Can you come in and help us? And I had no idea at that point what they needed or how to do it, but just went in and did the job Mm. and it went pretty well. And I did my best. And if I look back, I would be appalled at what I did wrong, what I did silly. But I think the most important thing is that I did it. And that led to me meeting different people who were also in need of people to come in and just sort of help them with business coaching. It's an interesting thing to think about when I started, I was the only performance coach that I knew. I wasn't even a performance coach. I was a facilitator who sort of did some coaching incidentally with that. And now almost 20 years later, you, in any room you're in, you're in a room with two or three other coaches. So it makes a whole lot of sense that we live in a world in which things are so complex and so interconnected. You need a partner who can help you sort of sort through things You just want to make sure that that partner has something that's really valuable for you. And for me, that thing is scaling. Um, I have spent more time working with entrepreneurs, scaling high growth companies. These are companies that are growing 200% a year, 500% a year, and have seen pretty much all of the good, the bad, the pains, the joys of that. And it just excites me. It excites me to this day. So I work still with entrepreneurial companies who are focused on growth. I work with entrepreneurial teams, even in larger corporations, um, who are interested still in doing things smart and fast and growth. And when you do that, boy, you never stop learning. And that would be maybe the second thing that I learned is that, man, if you're coaching, you are a full-time learner in addition to being a full-time coach, because whatever you are working on today, it is going to be disrupted by something maybe three to six months from now at the most. So that's kind of my journey in a nutshell. I've been doing it for a long time. Man, there are a lot more people on the space. And boy, I got to stay sharp if I want to continue to be successful. (laughs) Okay. Well, the very first thing I heard, and I think this is really important, is the importance of saying yes. Yeah. Uh, Even if you're not completely ready. And I'm just like, we were talking about this a little bit before we started. And I didn't even know you were going to say this, but it's like, in your experience, how many people do you think that you've worked with? who simply don't succeed because they don't just do it. So more than 80% of problems in businesses come from people not being willing to sort of lean into things that are really available to them that will be really helpful. I was just on a Zoom call with a client right before we jumped onto this podcast And she was talking about the struggle that she's having with her team and data. And she said, data makes them uncomfortable. And so every time we get busy, they use that as an excuse to say, well, we don't really have to look at the data. We don't have to work, try to work with the data because it's hard for us. And I was guilty of that as well. It was really hard for me to put myself out there. I engaged a sales coach early on. And I did my pitch for him. And he said, Mary, not only have you not sold me, you've given me a lot of reasons not to use you as a consultant. And I did it because I was scared. Mm. And the one thing that I could offer that made me feel so much better about everything is that as a coach, it's about fit. And you're not going to be a fit for everybody. And so being open to the idea that you're going to have to meet a lot of people, a lot of those people are not going to be a good fit for you in order for you to find the people that are, is just part and parcel of it. And now I used to go out kind of desperate to, I wanted to land the business. And now I go out and I say, 
so excited to meet you and we may or may not be a fit, but more than anything, I just want to have a lovely conversation and get to know this really great person on the other side of the table. And I get to do that because I've been doing this for a long time and I get when you're starting, it is really scary. But the thing that I often coach my high growth teams on is you got to bet on yourself. Like it's okay for you to get involved with something that you don't know how to do as long as you are willing to bet on yourself to figure it out. A great example of this was way back when a company had an RFP out to go do something around high-performing teams. And my husband came across it and said, you should do this. And I said, I don't know anything about high-performing teams or how you teach it. And he goes, yes, but you're really good at figuring things out. So maybe you trust yourself. And that started a 15-year relationship with that particular company. But at the very onset, the first sentence out of the guy's mouth was, well, we're talking to six or seven experts. And I thought, I'm cooked. (laughs) I'm just done. But as we talked, I realized, again, it was about fit. It was about my ability to understand them and listen to him much more than it was about any of my bona fides or whatever model I had. And I would say that's true for coaching in general. As you're starting your practice, if you make it about you and how smart you are, that's kind of helpful. If you make it about them and making them feel seen and being smart about helping them to know what they already know, man, that's valuable. It took me much longer to learn that than I wish I had. <laughs> that's, that's, so. that's so insightful. I think for most people, and I can at least speak for myself, it's like any time where I don't think I'm a good fit, it's I'm totally focused on myself. Yeah. And it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, who knows and who cares? I don't want to do things that aren't fun and I don't want to work with people I can't help. So if I just take that approach. And so for that person who's rather just starting out or they're in growth mode or they're scaling an eight figure coaching business, wherever they are, what would you say are some best practices of figuring out how you figure out who's the right fit for you? Because I think yeah. a lot of coaches, and I can speak for myself for a lot of years, worked with a whole lot of clients that I didn't want to work with because I wasn't clear on exactly who was the fit for me. Yes. And so this is the maybe the one part where away from clients, you want to understand how you are very differentiated from anyone else who's coaching. And there's a weird thing because again, there are a lot of coaches out there and there are coaches who coach from technical expertise and there who are there are coaches who work much closer to, for lack of a better word, therapy, life coaches who just want to be there for you. And you can find a lot of both. I think the key is to understand in yourself what you are really, really, really gifted at that other people may not be. And so for me, early on, early on, early on, early on, one thing that I knew that I was pretty gifted at was conflict. And in my mind, conflict isn't we're mad at each other or hostility. It's like, ooh, we don't agree. We're in different places on this. And, you know, as luck would have it, I just happened to have some gestalt training before I met EO, who values the use of this idea of gestalt, where in that world, there is no conflict. There's only people in different places, which allowed me to come into some situations with an approach that felt lighter, easier. This isn't the end of the world. Nobody's right. Nobody's wrong. Let's just go forward. And so that was helpful for me to learn that easy early on, because that led me into high growth. It's chock full of conflict. Hmm. And so I had a lot of opportunities to work with bigger corporations and I know big corporations. And this kind of maybe gets to your point, AJ, but I also know that I don't want to do work that doesn't go anywhere. I don't want to work in the bureaucracy. I don't want to sit in meetings and talk for the sake of talking. And so by definition, that screened out almost every large corporation. Utter respect for the fact that that building consensus and working things through needs to take place. It's just not fast enough for me. Oh, and, and so that language. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so I think that I always encourage my clients when they're thinking about the clients to think about the work that they've done that has made them happiest and to think about the people in that work that made them the happiest and what qualities the work and the people had. And so for me, it's you have to be honest. You have to be a little vulnerable. And I don't mean woo-woo vulnerable. I mean, you have to be open about the fact that there are things that you need to learn, grow, do. And I'm fine with just about everything else. Like I'm good with people who have very strong personalities, who have tempers, who have a lot of things. What I knew I wasn't good at is people who just wanted to make the conversation singular. And so 
I got there pretty quickly by looking at the work and saying, where, to your point, AJ, where am I happy in the work? And where is the work that I come home feeling fatigued and kind of down on myself and really doubting myself as a coach? And so in doing that, I realized I need smaller firms who are moving quickly and who were willing to be honest with themselves about what their challenges were. And for anybody else who's just starting out or in the middle of it and is looking for a refocus, where is the work that you had the best results and that gives you the most energy and who was in that work and what were they like? I might turn the tables on you, AJ, and say, well, how did you learn about clients that were good for brand builders or not? Yeah, you know, what's so interesting is as soon as you were talking, my very first thoughts went back to, you know, the first 15 years of my professional career as we were building our previous business, coaching, training, consulting, and speaking. And I think one of the things that I realized during that tenure, which made Brand Builders Group so much easier, is I got so super clear on what my natural strengths were. Mm-hmm. But that did not happen organically. It was almost forced by having so many clients for so long that just burned me out. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. until I think I went to a conference or I had a coach or something where I really said like, what do I want to be doing? And I knew for a really long time what I didn't want to be doing, but I wasn't focused on what I wanted to be doing. And I feel like for me, it's like I was clear on what I didn't want, but it took a lot of focus and effort for me to get really clear on what I did want. And I think for me, what I discovered in this process is like my superpower is a blessing and a curse, really, if you think about it. But (laughs) it's my ability to come into any single situation, any room, anything, and immediately see what's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Probably thinking, oh, what a wonderful, I'm sure your team loves you. Um, But it's like in any situation, I can immediately go, that's how you make it better. And I started attracting clients who wanted that type of feedback, who wanted that type of directive, that type of momentum, because I just remember in my sales calls, I'm like, listen, if you don't want someone to come in and tell you what to make better, I'm not the fit for you because I'm never going to be like, it's great. I'm just never going to do that for you. But until I figured that out, it really took 10 years. So it shouldn't take everyone else that long, like take, you know, lessons from this. But it wasn't until then that I was like, I actually really love my clients because they were fast paced action oriented. I didn't have to follow up. I didn't have to hold them accountable. They were action takers because they knew that by the next time I talked to them, I was going to have three more things. Nice. So, so people who were happy to, and people that would tell me people who were happy to be pushed because yeah. that's not everybody. Right. And so again, yeah, it's just at the beginning of my career on this, I wish I did a much better job of sort of documenting how the work went. Mm-hmm. And because you would get there faster. And so if you are just starting out today, document your clients. What is working about this client? What do I not love about this client? And as you said that, AJ, it reminded me of something that really helped me from a long time ago. There's a gentleman named Hugh McLeod who does sort of these back of the cocktail cartoons that are mini lessons in business. And he does a lot of work on culture now. And one of the ones that really stood out for me is he said that, you know, when we think about work, you have this sort of this Venn diagram of work that is really sexy and fun and then work that pays you a ton of money. And he said, people who are starting out have a tendency to think that that Venn diagram completely overlaps, that all your work should be super sexy and grow your brand and, you know, be wonderful to do and pay you a lot of money at the same time. And that's a short road to unhappiness because what you realize over time, and I think you've probably realized, is that there are clients whom you adore and there are clients who pay you incredibly well. And the number that are a 10 on both of those scales is actually relatively few and that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. One of the things that I started reminding myself of when we started Brand Builders Group, which was like almost almost four years, which feels like yesterday and years ago at the same <laughs> and 100 time. 100 years ago at the same time. <laughs> but I said, if I wouldn't want to coach you for free, then I shouldn't coach you at all. Yeah. It's like, yeah. If, I, if I wouldn't want to do this without making money, then now, you know, 15, 20 years later, I'm in a position to do that. It's clearly not. I would take anyone in the beginning for a very long time. I was like, whatever it is you want, I can do it. I'll figure it out. But now it's like, if I didn't want to coach you for free, then I shouldn't coach you at all. Now, I don't think that's how we start. But for me now, it's more about mission and passion of going, man, it's like, I want to be able to do this without having to only do it because you pay me. So it's yep. like the more I can find those people, the naturally the happier I am and the happier my clients are. 
Yeah, love that. But it takes a little bit of time, right? Because you immediately think it has to be both of those things to start. And I think that you're on to something that's really, really important also, AJ, as you start. And my view on this shifted a little bit, but not too much. And I'm sure yours has, but yours has as well. But it is the idea of what is my business about? Am I in it for the experiential point of I want to love what I do? I want to have a blast with everyone that I work with. Or is the purpose of my business to create financial freedom Mm -hmm. so that I can go out and do whatever I want to do, go climb a mountain or take a month off or take three months off. And it's kind of related to that thing. But I have always chosen the experiential over the money. And that has been great, but also not great because when I get too happy with people, I don't want them to not like me. And so one of the biggest challenges I've had as a coach is how do you take people's money up? And <laughs> learning how to have that conversation was really tough. And I'm sure that you had to do the same thing. Yeah. Okay. But it occurs to me that you were on the same side of that equation, which is I know what I want my business to do. I want the work to give me energy and make me happy first. And so I'll take a little less money to do that. Like you don't have to pick between the two, but it's helpful to understand. I know other coaches, they're like, I'm in it to make money and I do a great job. I deliver a great service, but the work feels a little different for them. And they get to do a wider spate of clients because their needs are different. It's such an important distinction for anyone who's in this space or anyone who's in this industry, being really clear of like, what are your goals of being in this space? (laughs) Because that really does clearly distinguish your market and what you're going after. So that actually brings up a really good question because I know that this comes up in our community all the time is people don't know how to charge, Mm. right? They undervalue their services. They don't know how to charge. They don't know when to do price increases. And I, I find this for both businesses and personal services alike. So both on a coach side and then also on a individual who coaches businesses, like any tips or advice or experience shares around how do you determine what to charge and when your prices should go up or come down or like, how do you do that? Yeah. But pricing, the stickiest wicket for all businesses of all sizes, anytime anybody's working on pricing strategy, I'll show you some unhappy people (laughs) because it's really hard and there are no real right answers on this. But for coaches, it's actually pretty simple. Most coaches start off by either way overvaluing their services or way undervaluing their services. And so you're going to have to make a choice early on as to whether you go with the retainer model. Am I going to say it's X number of dollars a month and we're going to make the most of that? Or is it a delivery, fee for delivery, which is for every hour that I coach you, I get money. There are challenges with both. To begin with, though, it is easier to get people to sign on for a fee for delivery. It is also easier to make the value of a fee for delivery visible when you're starting out. When you're on a retainer and you send a very big number to an entrepreneurial CEO, they're like, what is all this money for? Because I sure didn't see it. I spent an hour with Mary, but she's got $7,000 on here. And so what is she doing? that way. And so I find that it's probably a good idea to try to sell both. But if you're selling a retainer to make sure that the value of that retainer is visible and defined, not just I promise to be there between 10 and 20 hours, it would literally be to give them a sense of I'm advancing these things for you on that. The second thing that I learned is I'm just going to be, I'm going to get in trouble for this. My pricing is highly aligned with how easy and fabulous I think you are to work for. (laughs) That is probably not a great and scientific way to do it. But there are things that I value. Like if you never cancel, I do fee for delivery. I've always found that just simpler, easier, I'm happier. But if you always show up when you're supposed to, if you're not always moving your schedule around or canceling, if you actually do something with the work, like just like you, AJ. And if you share with me that you think what I'm doing is valuable, you get a discount from me. And mostly it's a discount in terms of, I'm not going to raise your rates as we go. That's um, fascinating. Yeah. So that's an, well, and then the other part of it is people always, show, if you're a great client, it's kind of, there's an analogy with this, with a rental house, which is they say, if you find a great tenant who pays all the time and doesn't trash the house and doesn't have pets, 
you never raise their rent mm. because you never want them to leave. And I think that's kind of how I feel about the clients that I love. And I have worked for, you know, it's funny, like you say, we've been working together for a year. The number of clients that I have been associated with for more than a decade is more than I care to count. It's a great thing. But part of that is because I value them and I don't, I'm not always taking their money up. The second thing that I will say is take your money up on every next client. Like as you are building your business, if you've got somebody to say yes for this amount, try taking it up a little bit and see if you can get somebody to say yes to the higher amount. And if a couple of people say yes to that, try taking it up to the next level until you get people who are one in four might say, oh, it's a little pricey or I don't know, or just not get back to you. But if everyone is just like, oh, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine, you probably have room to go north a little bit. And that's what I have done. So I actually have a pretty big spread in what I charge. But it says, I said, I'm a little wacky that way. However, my husband, who is always telling me, double your prices, I'm like, you're out of your mind for one thing. But secondarily, I spend an unbelievably small amount of time in business development because I'm not great at it. And so word of mouth and people who stay with me allow me not to have to spend on average, I want to say beginning coaches spend 25 to 33% of their time developing business. I will joke that sometimes clients are paying me to develop business because I'm in a coaching session and they're telling me about somebody else that they want to introduce me to. Yeah. And so that was my strategy was make people really happy, generate good referrals, good word of mouth, and try to keep prices a little bit lower. Everybody's going to be a little bit different. But if you are taking your prices up, the key is you have to show value. You have to show here's what you are getting and why absolutely why it's worth it for you to have this time. That's something that with good clients, they'll tell you this is valuable or if it's not valuable. And boy, if I go too long without somebody saying, hey, that was valuable, I got to check in and say, hey, is the work aligned to what you need? But on the pricing front, I have found the easiest way to take prices up is to do it with new clients. And when you have to do it, don't nickel and dime, take the significant price increase so that you only have to do it every couple of years. That is absolutely a best practice in our line of work is people don't want their annual renewal of your fee went up as if we are Comcast or Netflix these days. Every once in a blue moon say, hey, I'm just, I'm adjusting to meet the business standard. Really helpful to invoke the standards of our industry. I'm adjusting my fees to be more many. Those are so many good things. I just want to make sure we don't skim over some of those because this is a really challenging thing for most people. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. If you're in a service-based industry where you're charging fees, it's a big deal, especially in this coaching, training, speaking, consulting world. And there's three things that you said that I think are really worth just commenting on is, and honestly, one of them is this pricing model based on the ease of which it is to work with you. And because you are hourly, it's like, if I have to track you down and follow up with you to show up for my calls, I'm going to charge you more because you cost me more. That's exactly like, that's right. Brilliant. That's <laughs> so smart and creates more accountability, I would think, in terms of, hey, listen, if you're difficult to work with, I have to charge more because you're holding up space on my calendar. Yep. That's, that's exactly right. So smart. And I think too, the thing that I love about that is also going, I love that there is a differentiation. And although it's like, I think it kind of like motivates clients to want to be better clients. Right. And it's yep. like, who doesn't want to be motivated to be a better client of going, wow, if like I'm a really good client, then like I would get like locked in at this like grandfathered rates. Like I need to be a good client. But I think there's like some like reverse psychology that's actually really beneficial in that. Cause I think for most people, their human nature is, well, I want to be, I want to be a good client too. Now, I don't think most people go into this thing. I want to be a giant pain in the ass for you and then see if you can make it work. Amen. I mean, and you have to have some trust there. Like, I don't say that to everyone. I say that to clients that I really like, and it also helps them to understand, Hey, you get a little special treatment, which makes them want to be better clients. I um, So smart. So interesting. Never heard that pricing model ever. Love that. So good. <laughs> the second thing that I think is really good is this concept of being grandfathered into pricing. Like, yeah. I think that makes a big deal. I think about some of my longest term consulting clients in my former life. And it's because I didn't just raise the prices for raising the prices. I'm like, you've been amazing. You've been six and seven figure clients year after year. I'm not going to raise prices just for the sake of raising prices. I'm going to keep the prices the same. So our relationship will continue. You know, I can't tell you how many vendors that I've been contacting 
impacted by since the beginning of this year, letting me though, they're just doing a standard across the board, 10% price increase. And I'm going for what? Like based on what inflation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just sitting here going, okay, well, should I increase our, you know, it's like in those things where it's like, and then, you know, Roy and I had a long discussion around, well, should we be doing that? And then we just sat back and we're like, no, we don't feel like that's right for where we are. And so it's like, one of the things that we've kind of doubled down on is we're not going to raise prices, but we're going to be doing new things to increase value without raising prices. And there's two different ways of going about it. And it's like, if you really wanted me to stay and to refer you business, which I would happily do, it's like raising the prices for no reason probably isn't the thing to do. So we've taken a counter approach and we've added three new huge benefits to our membership platform going, and we're not raising prices. Our goal this year is to increase value. So I just love that. And in fact, when I was at McDonald's, we used to use this very simple but powerful formula that said value equals price divided by experience. And the idea was to say, as long as you're providing an experience that seems better than the price, you're winning on the value score. So you didn't always have to take prices down. You had to make the experience better at the same time was the key to driving value. So what you and Roy are doing is just so smart. And I think that it's so one thing, again, that I would share with people who are in this, doing what we do, and even for you guys too, AJ and Rory, is something that I do and started doing several years ago that it took me forever to do. And this is a shout out to a very smart guy named David Baker, who does a lot of writing about business models for advertising agencies. And I got dialed into him a long time ago. But one thing that he says is, if you're doing it for free, you still got to put it on the invoice. Because there's no way for people to understand the value of it unless they see it. And so I would put it in as a this line item with a no charge, or I would actually put it in at full boat and then credit it back out. I'd do it both ways. But helping people to see these are things that we're doing that are valuable for you is super, super important. I love because they don't. We do abstract work, right? Like it's not holding something in your hand. Oh yeah. Out of sight, out of mind. What have you done for me lately? It's easy to forget like all those things. Right. And so even again, like the last, we would finish this out by saying I've never felt really great about either one of those things. And so just two weeks ago, I found out the thing that I love that I put out invoices. And so now it says, here's the service with my compliments. Mm. Here's the thing I did with my compliments. That is like, this is for you. This isn't even a a line item. I want you to know that I did this as a little gift for you. And and so as you and Rory are doing things that are really value added, making sure that you find ways to share those that feel good um, is an important part for anybody who delivers coaching, consulting as a service. Oh, that's so good because it's true. It's like people don't know what they're paying for if you don't tell them what they're paying for. Right. And And especially if you have multiple people, there's in my line of work, there's no way for a CEO to know that, hey, I had a one-off coaching session just for the good of the cause Mm -hmm. with one of your people, unless it says bonus coaching session with my compliments. That's so good. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. so great. And then the third thing you said that I also love, because I think this is, I think people do this more than anything else is they never raise their prices, but it's, you know, I would liken it to like supply and demand. It's like the more clients you have, it's like, you have to be raising the prices and that's just, there is only a limited supply of how many hours you have to deliver. So the less hours you have, the higher the prices must go. So the earlier, I think to me, it's like the earlier you have clients in, they should have lesser rates to some degree because you've got more ample time. But as that time gets sucked away, prices must increase because the value of your time is innately higher. Yep. And on that, I think a couple of things that are important to remember, one of which is you can do an introductory rate. Like you can do it. Let's try it very much like what you guys do. Here's a preview. Here's a way for you to try me before we get locked in. And people actually love that. Like when I'm selling coaching, I always say to people, well, the best way for you to understand it is let's just do it. Like, Mm -hmm. let's just have a coaching session. And if you're like, yes, that was great. Then we can do next steps. And if you're like, that was awesome, but you're kind of (laughs) intense, then we're probably not a good fit. And that's great too. But it saved me from doing a lot of pretend work. I'm like, why not just do a little bit of the work and let them see it? 
Mm. Um, and so that I think is something that is important to know that you can also say to people, hey, we can do my usual rate is like you got to know what your actual prevailing rate is. My usual rate is this just so we can get to know each other. I'm willing to do three months at this and then we can reevaluate. That's an okay way to get started. And so that I think is an important thing is that you have some flexibility and don't publish your rates would be a big one. Do not publish your rates. I'm going to go back to, you triggered something that was really helpful for me. And I don't remember who this was. This might also have been David Baker, but I don't think so. But I ran ran across a great formula that said, if you're working in corporate America and you want to go out and consult, the number that you need to make in terms of breaking even with your old salary is somewhere between 1.5 and two, just to stay where you were earning your salary in corporate America. Mm. Because you don't think about things like, well, now I'm paying my own portion of social security and now I'm responsible for my own health insurance. And now I have hours that I have to spend in administration that I can't bill you, but still are a cost center. And so when you set your rates, you have to account for all those things the same way that they do when they set a salary in a corporate world. Oh, totally. Those are such wise, experienced comments to anyone. It doesn't matter if you're just getting started or you have an established coaching consulting practice. Like those are things that so often never get discussed. Like they don't actually make it to the conversation of how do we set prices? And so funny because this wasn't an intended part of my interview with you, but this was so incredibly valuable. And all right. So I have just a one other quick question, but before I do that, I'm going to put this in the show notes, but uh, when it comes to social media, if people want to go and connect with you, where's the best place on social media for people to connect with you? That'll be M2 Consulting on LinkedIn. So I'm not young. I've been doing this for a long time and had a career before that. And so I have found that for me, really professional social media is my bag. And so, yeah, reaching out to me through LinkedIn is the best way to get to me. And just one thing, I am so grateful for just the journey that I've had and the amount of amazing experiences and fabulous clients that I've had that I always want to help other coaches along the way. And so if anybody wants to reach out with a specific question around pricing or client management, or what did you do about this? Please, please, please take advantage of that. As coaches, AJ, I'm just going to share this with you because I think it's important. And I actually think brand builders is a big part of the solution to this. Coaches don't have community. Mm. My husband is a political consultant. There's like 9,000 political consultant bashes a year where they all go together and party it up and celebrate each other. And if you're a coach, that one of the surprising things for me was how lonely it was and how little community there actually is for coaches. And I think that brand builders is actually finding that part of their mission is to create a safe places for coaches to come together and to share. But also just as someone who is a little bit down the pike here, I'm so happy to share my experience. If it's helpful for anyone that just reach out to me at MT Consulting on LinkedIn or Mary Sobin on LinkedIn. If I can help you, I will. Oh, so awesome. That's why we love you so much. And I'll put all of that in the show notes so generous and you might need to prepare yourself. You might be. That's all as well though. Like again, it's an honor and man, I'm just so grateful. So generous. That's so nice. Okay. Well, here's my last question. And this is like totally has nothing to do with anything other than my own personal curiosity. But I would say, and I think this is connected to this world of coaching that we're in, but what would you say has been your most favorite part about being a coach over the last 20 years? So the obvious answer, right? Like the existential answer, it is such a gift to watch someone change. Mm-hmm. It is such a gift to be able to watch the light bulb go off in an aha moment. Perhaps more importantly, it's so awesome. And interestingly enough, I didn't have children, but sometimes I'm like, oh, this must be like what it's like with a kid where you watch your kid figure out how to tie their shoes at a very sophisticated high level. But to be able to watch people access, particularly their own self-agency, that is my favorite part. Because what I have found with most people is we give up so much of our agency. When we are in trouble, when we have problems, we tend to go, it's all this stuff around me and I'm stuck. Mm -hmm. And if we just turned inward just a little bit and said, hey, actually, 
I have more than I need to get out of this. Watching people access that part of themselves because then they have it forever in everything. It doesn't matter what they're doing. If they're like, oh, I can figure this out. That's pretty much hands down my favorite part of that. For myself, if you took the clients away from it, I would say my favorite thing is how much it requires you to stay current. And I can't think of another business where you do not have the luxury of relaxing. And I will share with you that I meet a lot of people who are my age and I'm like, wow, you've had pretty much the same job for the last 15 years. And I'd be happy some weeks with having the same job for 15 minutes, but man, it keeps you young (laughs) mentally. Like there, everyone is talking about the need to keep learning as a way to stay young mentally. So that's my favorite part about it selfishly. Oh, I adore you so much. Such a special conversation with so many nuggets and so many awesome tips and best practices. Mary, we love you. And I don't know if people caught this, like I've had the pleasure of having Mary as my coach. And I mean, it's like, I speak for that. It's like, I I know sometimes you say, it's like, wow, just wondering if you still want to continue. I'm like, what? What do you mean? Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. But you have to be brave enough to ask sometimes. It's true. Uh, (laughs) But I can totally vouch. It's like when you find that right coach, and this is where coaches out there and finding your clients, it's like, it's a really magical situation. And so be intentional with your clients, be intentional with who you do work with because it impacts you too. So with that, uh, thank you so much. Everyone else, stay tuned to the next episode on Influential Personal Brand. Hi, it's AJ Vaden, and thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. All right. Welcome back, y'all. Welcome to the recap episode of my conversation with Mary Sobin. I love her so much. She is just so full of wisdom and experience. And as my own personal business coach, I was so excited to have her on here. And I get the privilege of not just recapping our conversation, but also sharing just some powerful insights of things that she has taught me in terms of what do you provide really as a coach? And it's interesting because as someone who considers herself in the coaching industry and the coaching business, that's what we do at Brand Builders Group and personal branding. But it's also really important that I have a coach to constantly get that different perspective for myself. And so there's a couple of things here that I thought were so insightful for anyone who is in the coaching industry. And here are the couple of things that I think is really insightful is one, how do you set your prices? I don't think a lot of people talk about this because I don't really think a lot of people know how to do it. And I loved the conversation that we morphed into on our call, on our interview, because that wasn't the intent. And that naturally came up and we just went with it. But here's a couple of takeaways from how to set your price and that I think are really valuable. And then I can speak to as Mary as my own business coach, right? One, I think this was really fascinating. There's two ways of looking at this, right? There is, or really three ways. There is hourly, there is retainer, and then there's project. And that's how I would kind of lump these together. And on an hourly, it actually puts a lot more work on you because you've got to track all of those per client. But then on top of that, I think a lot of times I'm going, well, what if I don't need these? And then she gets booked up, right? And I'm thinking like specifically of like how I've been as a customer. It's like, I feel pressure of going, well, if I just book hourly and I'm not on your schedule when I need you, are you going to be available? Right. And for any of you who've ever been in counseling or therapy or or life coaching, it's like, no, when I need you, I need you. And if you're not available, well, that's just not really helpful for me. So there's pros and cons on a customer perspective of doing it hourly, because then the pro is it's like it's cost manageable, right? But for you as a coach, it's a lot more work. It's a lot more tracking of going, now I have to track and prove and document every single hour that I was with your organization or with you. So first one is hourly. Okay. 
Second one is retainer, right? Pros and cons to that one too. Because on a customer's perspective, I'm going, well, I want you to show me what you did for this retainer, right? I paid you $3,000 for last month. What'd you do? I want to know. And so there's, again, a lot of tracking and reporting on that. There's clearly a lot more security on the coach's side for pricing, right? Because you can plan out ahead and there's less tracking. But then there's, again, extra documentation, right? So there's always going to be pros and cons to this. But I would say as a coach, a project or a retainer model, I would lend my way to that more typically. Except for if you are just in that one-on-one space and then maybe it's the hourly. But I think the benefit of some of this in our retainer perspective is it allows you more opportunity to provide more value. And so now you have to figure out what that retainer pricing is. And maybe that retainer pricing is $500. Maybe it's $1,000, right? Instead of going, hey, just tell me when you need me. It's like, no, we're just going to set up. It's like, we're going to do two calls, three calls a month. One is for you. One is for your team. You can set it up however you want, but that can still be a retainer model. And here's another way to look at hourly. Even if you only do hourly, have people pay in advance for their hours, And that could be like a project, right? So instead of billing hourly, it's like, well, I'm going to bill you hourly, but I'm going to do it in advance. So, right, I'm going to go ahead and bill you for 10 hours and you can use that in any increment that you like. It could be in 10 one-hour calls. It could be in two five-hour sessions, but it's like, I'm going to bill you in advance and then I won't bill you again until you use those up. So there's different ways of thinking about how you price But then you also have to think about what is that actual personal hourly rate, right? And I thought this was fascinating because, right, there's projects and then there's retainers, right, which happen monthly versus a project, which is a one-time, hey, here's what we're going to do for Q1 and here's how much it costs versus you're going to pay me X amount of money every single month indefinitely or for six months or for a year or for whatever. And then there's hourly, which I'll track every single hour and I'll bill you, or you can have people buy hours up front. And then you don't bill again until you use those up and then they buy the next allotment, right? So there's lots of different ways to do it. But then the next is, well, how do you set your internal hourly, right? So you know what to charge for in a project or on a retainer or hourly, like, well, what should I charge $100 an hour? Is it $50 an hour? Is it $500 an hour? I don't know what my fee is. And so I thought this was so fascinating because I've never heard this. And I've been in this industry and I've been in this business a really long time. And she said, that really depends on the client. And then it hit me. It's like, it sure friggin' does. It does depend on the client. And I love this. And I've never heard of anyone else doing this. So I think this is really, really cool. But this concept of going, how easy is it to work with a client? And that is a part of how you charge. Like how difficult is the project going to be for you? In other words, if you are doing something that it's going to require a lot of research time and a lot of documentation time, a lot of coordination time, then maybe there should be a higher hourly rate because it's making you do things that are not part of your norm, right? Versus like, no, this is, you just want me on a phone call and you want to ask me questions. That's easy. Are you a client? Are you working with clients that are very hard to track down? And they always take up virtual real estate on your calendar that you're always having to go back and try to refill. And it's like that to me was like the aha moment of going, how many clients have I had in the past that would book calls and then constantly not show up? And then I couldn't fill that hour with someone else. So there was a huge opportunity cost. And then I would have to track this person down, reschedule, reschedule. They weren't prepared. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like, this is so much more work than we had anticipated for. So it was like, how easy are your clients to work with? Are they people who show up prepared and ready to work? Are they people who constantly no-show and reschedule on you? And I think a lot of that you don't know until you work with them, right? So having a grandfathered price in. So it's like, I start everyone at some point at X price, based on what the project is, based on what they need, based on my involvement. But my prices evolve and change, right? Uh, Just like inflation changes the prices in the market, as does it my prices, right? And really, it's more of supply and demand, right? The less hours I have, the more I charge. The more hours I have, I don't have to charge as much. And that's the case with, you know, anything. It's like the less there is, typically, the more you pay for it, right? And so just this concept of 
How easy is it for me to work with you? How reliable as a client are you to work with? And how much availability do I have? And then how much expertise is required? Those are the things that we evaluate as we're setting prices. And I think that's really interesting to look at of going, the more that you do this, the more you should charge because the more experience and the more value that you provide, but you need to make sure that that's what's happening. And I know some people who just get in and they're like, my fees are 200 bucks an hour. I'm like, based on what? I have other people who get in this business and they charge a hundred dollars an hour. And I'm like, you should be charging 500, like legitimate. You should be charging 500. That is the level of expertise that you are providing. What's the difference? Has everything to do with the need of the client and finding that right fit, knowing what your niche is, knowing exactly what you're going to be coaching on knowing exactly what your target market is and what is their income and what are their demographics and what are their psychographics. And a huge part of this isn't about what, it's about who. It's about who are you targeting and what expertise are you bringing and in what model are you going to be charging, right? And this is such a detailed conversation to have in this recap, but I think it's one that's really powerful. And as a customer of Mary's to know, it's like, I'm sitting here going, I wonder if my pricing (laughs) means I'm a really good client or I'm a really difficult client. I'll tell you what it did for me. And I I hung up for this interview and I went and I talked to my husband, Rory, who's also a co-host, as you guys all know, if you're listening. And I asked him, I was like, based on these fees, do you think I'm a bad client or a good client? And it created this internal desire in me to, I want to be a good client. I want to get grandfathered in to really good rates. It's like, what do I need to do to be a better client? And then I'm asking myself, do I reschedule on her? Do I no show? Do I not come prepared? Do I not do stuff? And there is a mentality that intentional or not, that has been created since this interview of me going, I want to be a better client. Because I want to be rewarded for being a good client. And being rewarded means I get grandfathered in at my original rate. Heck yeah, I'm not going to reschedule on you anymore. I'm never going to no-show. I'm going to show up and do the work because I want these grandfathered in fees because I value your time. And if I value and I respect your time, you're going to reward me as a customer? Sign me up. So I think there's also some reverse psychology working here in her favor, again, intentional or not, that makes me want to be a good customer. So again, really fascinating conversation on pricing. It's a really delicate conversation. It's always changing and evolving as your prices should, right? They shouldn't be the same that they were 10 years ago because you are definitely not the same that you were 10 years ago or even five years ago, or maybe even last year. So uh, please check out this full interview. Uh, Mary also gave the incredible offer to anyone in the coaching business. If you're a coach and you just want more community with coaches and you want advice from someone who's been doing this a really long time. She said, look her up on LinkedIn. It's Mary Sobin into consulting. And she said, reach out to me and I'm, I'm happy to support. I'm happy to help and ask any questions. So if I were you and I was a coach, I would take her up on that because I'm taking her up on it and it ain't for free. So check it out, go listen to the full episode and we'll catch you next time on the influential personal brand. That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it to podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free 30-day access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. And we'll get you set up with free access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. Also, just please share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation. 